can we learn how to be authentic? Even authentically authentic? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Torah portion of Vayigash, the portion in which Yosef, Joseph, finally reveals himself to his brothers. And Yosef, I am Yosef. Go send for my father Yaakov and bring the family down here to Egypt, which is exactly what transpires. And we're about to have the reunion. It's been 22 years. Yosef has not seen Yaakov. Yaakov has not seen Yosef. Each has had terrible, incredible longing for the other. And Yosef prepares his chariot, or Yosef Merkavto, and he goes up to greet his father. And we would expect the text to describe. He went up to greet his father in Goshen, and they saw each other, or they appeared to each other, but instead the text says, Vayera a love, and he appeared to him. And Yosef appeared to his father Yaakov. Again, Yosef is running to go and meet his father, and he appeared to his father. Rashi tells us, and he appeared to him, Yosef Nira El Aviv. Yosef was appearing to his father. Well, of course he's appearing to his father. They're both appearing to each other, but really isn't the more dominant factor that he's seeing his father than appearing to his father. Explaining various commentaries and picks up on this uh, significantly in the work Sichos Musar of Chaim Shmulevitz, who describes that Yosef, despite the incredible intense emotion, his intense longing and desire to see his father, his father whom he has loved so dearly, whose father who was his spiritual guide, his primary mentor in life, and they had an incredible relationship described two parashas back. He has this incredible, eager, passionate will to see his father, but he knows that his father has an intense longing to see him. And Yosef focuses entirely on that latter aspect. I'm not wanting to have this experience in order to take. I'm wanting to have this experience in order to give. I want to give my father this satisfaction of seeing me. That is my entire goal. And the terminology in the Sichos Musar is is very very, very extreme. He describes that uh, despite that it would have been a Ratzon Kashir Betachlis, going to see his father, that would have been a 100% kosher, Endeavor, Mikomakom Kavash Esritsono, he conquered his own will, Ukisha'ala Likras Aviv, when he went up to greet his father, Lahia Balibo, Elaratzon Echad. There was only one thought, only one motivation in his heart, Lahiraos El Aviv, to make himself seen by his father. Lahainu, my father should see me. My father should have joy. My father should have that calm, that satisfaction in seeing me. Not that Yosef had this as a significant piece of his motivation. Not as the dominant piece of his motivation. Not as 90% or 95% or 99%, but he's understanding 100%. This was his only goal. He was able to absolutely subdue the incredible longing that he had to see his father as being a factor here. It was not blended into this endeavor. No element of fulfilling my own need in this moment. 
stunning that a person can get to this point that they could rid themselves of an ulterior motive, in a very legitimate ulterior motive. Everybody would have understood 100% if Yosef would have simply made this 50-50. I think we would have understood 100% if he made it 95-5. I want to go see my father. Of course, I'm also focused on my father seeing me. But Yosef turns it the other direction, and it's not just 5 to 95, it's 0 to 100. I'm not part of this picture. It's all about my father. This theme, Shlemus HaMaisa, is actually an, an essay called Shlemus HaMaisa, the completion of a deed, making a deed perfect. It's actually part two. We had referenced in our actually previous podcast an idea that he, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, picks up upon in a, in a previous essay, and just a one-minute recap of our Not Me episode of last week, where when the Paro is hearing Yosef interpret the dream, and Paro, as a result, catapults Yosef to being viceroy of Egypt. What was the connection between these two elements? Okay, he's a good dream interpreter. Why do you decide that he's going to now be the second in command of the dominant world empire at the time? Bil Adai, Yosef's word, it's not me. It's all God providing me this information. Yosef, who would have been absolutely fully understood if he would have taken advantage of this moment to draw attention to himself, move the spotlight a little bit closer on his own talent because Yosef doesn't know that this is his guaranteed ticket out of jail. As far as he knows, he's been whisked out of jail to interpret the dream, and then what? Back in the dungeon? Let's try to draw attention to the fact that, hey, Paro, look, I'm doing you a favor over here. But no, 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 no. It's not me. Yosef has no focus on self. Absolutely selfless. If I recognize that this is... God providing the resolution, God providing the information, I simply acknowledge that. When Paro hears that Yosef can say, it's not me, Paro recognizes that this is somebody who can be absolutely dedicated to the people and somebody who there's no risk of him trying to use this opportunity to take control from Paro either. Yosef is not about himself. He's about what has to be done. What is the right endeavor in the moment? What is the right attitude in the moment? And it's not me. That Biladai, not me, catapults Yosef to Malchus, to monarchy. And over here, Yosef, continuing this chain of being able to separate himself from the picture. It's not about me. It's about my father. Rebchayim Shmulevitz, later on in this essay, points to another example of this where there's a connection between this selflessness and doing what I can do for the other and catapulting one to a position of great rank and monarchy. And that is, much later on in history, in the story of Ruth, or Ruth, or Ruth when uh, Ruth basically has um, been widowed, uh, her husband had died, and she's now back in the land of Israel, and Boaz recognizes that there is the possibility of her marrying a relative of her husband in order to keep the property within the family. That person will marry her and take hold of the assets of Ruth's now deceased husband. And Boaz is a candidate for that. But he recognizes that there's a closer candidate. And although Boaz knows, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz describes that Boaz was cognizant of the fact that this isn't simply a Moabite woman coming back to the land of Israel, but there is the potential over here for something much more grand. And he understood, I'm not sure if this is through some prophetic understanding or some other tradition that he had, that there is the room for this to be, 
the foundation of what will eventually be monarchy within Israel. We know that Rus's great-grandson is King David. And that union, whoever marries Rus, has the capacity to forever be affixed to the monarchy of Israel, the Davidic dynasty, which ultimately means Mashiach, which has to be a descendant of King David, and the salvation of Israel is going to come through this union. But Boaz turns to the individual we generally refer to as Plony Almoni, kind of the John Doe of the Torah. He kind of doesn't deserve a name because he lost his opportunity through his rejection, but Boaz turns to this Plony Almoni and offers it to him first. Boaz makes no attempt to try to dissuade Plony Almoni. He could have simply ignored Plony Almoni's existence and done this mitzvah of marrying Rus, taking the property, and being the founding father of the Davidic dynasty. But instead, he turns to Plony Almoni, if you want to redeem, you shall redeem. Almost encouraging him with a double terminology over there. This is your opportunity. You can redeem her. You can redeem the property. You can attach yourself to Rus turns it over to him despite the fact that this is going to eliminate Boaz from this destiny. Of course, Plony Almoni did not take advantage of that. He writes himself out of history and Boaz takes this spot. But Boaz was self-effacing and through that, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz understands he got the merit to actually, therefore, be the one to be the founding father of the Davidic dynasty. Of the moving self out of the picture... No ulterior motive, no focus on what I can get out of this, but simply I want what's best to happen. That elevates Yosef to his position of monarchy, elevates Boaz to the being in his position of leading into the monarchy, and has to give us pause in terms of when we look at various endeavors, even endeavors that are kosher endeavors, proper endeavors, mitzvah endeavors, to what degree are we motivated by factors other than the ultimate mitzvah goal? And are there elements of either recognition by others, uh, I'll be seen by the, my peers as you know, playing some role, again, whether it's in a community chesed project or in some type of uh, you know, leadership, or giving a tzedakah, whatever I'm doing, am I attentive while doing this mitzvah to somebody else's reaction? my attentive to the satisfaction that I get out of this? Are there factors other than the mitzvah goal? And again, thankfully we are often uh, involved in many, many good endeavors, many wonderful pursuits, but are we missing out some of the ultimate significance? Are we missing out some of the greatest outcomes of these positive pursuits due to the fact that we're allowing some motivation other than the perfect motivation. It's a hard order to say simply, okay, so from here on in, every time we do anything, rid ourselves from the picture and have no personal aspiration of, in terms of what we're going to gain out of it, no personal achievement as part of the motivation, and simply do everything with the purest of intent, I think that's a, a very big leap for many, at least for me. But... In terms of our general talkless talks attitudes, where we focus on trying to do something that's you know meaningful, uh, a step towards that direction, maybe there's a pursuit, one endeavor that's part of our let's pick weekly routine. It's something we do on at least a weekly basis. 
and picture one type of mitzvah, one type of pursuit we do on a weekly basis where currently we can recognize that I'm doing it, I'm doing it right, but I'm not doing it with the rightest of intentions. I'm not doing it with the most exclusive of intentions where I'm doing it for the ultimate mitzvah purpose. And I am focused on some factor in terms of how I'm recognized for this, what others think of me, or in terms of some other gain that I benefit from this. Is there some pursuit that we have on at least a weekly basis that we can say, hey, I want to make a shift as to my motivation for that one entity. I'm going to pick a simple example. Let's say I, um, I, I go to services, so I'm at the stage of life, I go to services, let's say, uh, once a week. I go on Friday night, I go to synagogue. And I know when I walk into the door, I always make a point to be there on time at the very beginning. And when I go into that service at the very beginning of the services, I notice that, like, the rabbi or the gabbai or somebody, they always notice the fact that I'm of the first people to show up over there. And I feel good about that. Now, let's not change that. <laughs> let's not not be of the first people that are there. That's a good thing to do. But can I rid myself of the factor? Like, is that That's currently part of my motivation, is that I know that they know. Can I move a notch above that? And can I be dismissive of the fact that I know that they know? And do it just because it's the right thing to do. Can I go, let's make my goal this week. I'm going to get there also early, maybe even a minute earlier, and change the motivation because I want to be among those first people in the synagogue to show how much I value this mitzvah. I want to be one of the first people because I know that the more people that there are on time, the more others are motivated to be there on time. Uh, and more likely services start on time. I have positive motivations other than the fact that I notice that they notice. Simple example, and again, plug in your own examples, anything within your personal sphere that would be relevant to you, where, again, it's something that we're doing, that we're doing good. Baruch Hashem, thank God. But we're doing good in terms of the action, but falling short in terms of the purity of the motivation. And by securing that our motivation is more ab- absolutely positive, eliminating that element of my taking it in any way, and I'm purely providing rather than gaining, we ultimately gain far more. And in so doing, if we can do this to one mitzvah this week, find another mitzvah down the road, we can add this to and make this something that becomes part of our focus as we look at our mitzvahs. So each of our mitzvahs can then take on degrees, okay? Maybe some mitzvahs we can eliminate the ulterior motives 100%. Some will be a blend. It'll take a longer time, but each one we can move it up a degree of the of the sincerity, move it up a degree of the of the perfection in the mitzvah, what he calls here the the shlemut hamaisa. We can move up a degree in terms of the being a shalim, being complete, and, and absolutely in sync with God through this behavior, rather than any element of personal benefit. We will be far more likely to be able to have our mitzvahs throughout our routine be elevated mitzvahs, and will become the type of people who are far more likely to achieve our tachlis.